Hello, everybody, all you Covey Clubbers out there and all you potential reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club and of Reinvent Yourself. And I have a very interesting story today uh, with a young woman, she's 40 now, Lydia Slaby, who's an author and cancer survivor. She has a great book out called Wait, It Gets Worse, where she talks about and how she learned that control is an illusion. Um, and she goes through her discussion of she had this high-flying life. She had fancy degrees from three different schools. She was working in Chicago in bankruptcy. And, you know, she was on the fast track. And then, boom, at 33, she said she had a, they diagnosed her with a tumor the size of a grapefruit on her sternum and pressing onto her heart. And she had to, right there in the emergency room, right after that, go right into chemo. She didn't have time to compare. She didn't have time to go back. She didn't have time to get, get her life in order or anything. She went right into full treatment. She ended up with a couple of years of working through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then wait till you just, you just have to hear her story. It's, it's unbelievable. Anyway, she decided to leave the law after that and became a writer and wrote this terrific book, which you'll want to read. And I just love her whole way of looking at life and saying that we really, we have to get comfortable with the fact that control is just not ours but you can control how you react to things that happen. And I think we all go through these issues with big issues, small issues. And um, I think this conversation is for, really it's not about cancer, it's about how do you deal with disruption in your life and how do you go on and how do you get up and over and how do you return in a different way? And I think you will find her very inspirational. So hello, Lydia, how are you? I'm doing great, how are you? Fantastic, where are you located, Lydia? I live in Rhinebeck, New York. Oh, good, not too far from here, that's nope, great. So just up the Hudson River, it's lovely. Oh, good, it's, ni it's a nice day, so it's a good day for a conversation about reinvention, right? It is, it's always a good day for a conversation about reinvention. So you have quite a story. I've been reading your LinkedIn. I've been looking at the table of contents in your book. What a story. Let's start a little bit with your background because everybody's trying to figure out when they listen to this, you know, how do I fit in here? What does she have to say to me? How do I relate? Um, believe it or not, I've talked to a lot of lawyers who are no longer lawyers, which I find hilarious. <laughs> I even found one woman at Columbia who actually her sole purpose is to help lawyers reinvent. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I'm so glad to hear that there's someone who's doing that at a top law school. Yeah, just just for lawyers. So anyway, yeah. but you did it on your own. Let's start with like, where did you grow up? And you've got three degrees is my understanding. Yep. So I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, my father was a public servant in the federal government and my mother worked for UNESCO. Um, oh, so wow. a family of public servants in their own way. That's nice. um, yeah. And for us, education was always a given, right? Mm -hmm. It was never a question of if you go to college, it was always, so when you go to college after mm -hmm. that, then you can start your life. Um, but 
So I grew up in Washington D.C. went to the went through the prep school system there, um, mm-hmm. and then I went to Brown, where mm-hmm. I got um, I, I double majored in business economics and urban studies um, mm-hmm. economics because I thought that's what I was supposed to do in urban studies because it's what I love to do, mm-hmm. um, and then out of Brown I ended up. Uh, after a short stint in real estate development back in Washington, D.C., I actually ended up in Boston and I was working for the state government for Massachusetts in a little division that oversaw the cities and towns and their tax rates and that whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was working mostly with cities and towns that were having financial difficulties, helping them reinvent themselves and mm-hmm. figure out a way through their 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 troubles. Mm-hmm. And then um, when Governor Patrick won the election in 2006, I moved up into the state house and I did that just on a larger level in the state house. And it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, loved, I loved my time in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. But then because of my family and because of who I am, I felt like I had to go back to school. And so I applied and uh, eventually was accepted to Northwestern's JD MBA program. So both mm-hmm. the law and the business. Oh, because one is not enough. Okay. Right, exactly. Because one is not enough. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I'm kidding you because um, one of our our uh, taglines is "We're for lifelong learners." Oh. So that is kind of what sets Covey the Covey audience apart from everybody. Yeah, that we are lifelong learners, and and all of us just keep learning. And if we stop learning, we die. So. It's, well, yeah, I, I'm making a joke with you. No, but I, I do. I agree with that. And, and it is funny because most people do a joint program like that. I mean, each individual degree would take five years total. Oh, my God. And, um, and most people, if they do a joint program like that, they do it in four years. But me, because I didn't really understand that the point of going to school was to really immerse myself in the educational experience. It mm-hmm. was to get the degrees and get out. Oh, um, okay. I did it in three. Oh, okay. And uh, so (laughs) three short years later, I graduated with my business degree and my law degree, and I ended up at a top law firm in Chicago doing corporate bankruptcy work, which spoke to my previous work for the cities and towns. Okay. And then 10 months into that job, I was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. So that was where my transition really began. because I'd always, even though I'd made decisions about my jobs and I kept switching in and out of what it is, you know, what career I wanted to do. Right. Um, I never had the opportunity to just stop everything full bore. Mm-hmm. Um, and being diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 33 stops life pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, 33. I was 33 and I had a tumor the size of a grapefruit uh, sort of hidden right behind my sternum sitting on top of my heart. Oh my God. Yeah, it was something. Um, and I, I, I was married. I, well, I still am married. Um, I, I'd been married for two years and my husband and I were having difficulties and I was working this very stressful job and then suddenly my health just falls apart. Um, so that was in June of 2012. Okay. And, um, and what happened out of that is I didn't actually end up leaving my job at the law firm until early 2015 mm-hmm. um, because, well, for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
what ended up happening is I, I, I left my former life and I became a writer and I wrote a book and I tell stories and I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is what I do now. Wow. Uh, but how long did it take you to, to recuperate? And I see you've got this fabulous short purple hair now, which I love. <laughs> I do. Um, yes, I went from very Kate Middleton, like a uh, brown mm-hmm. luxurious mm-hmm. locks to mm-hmm. my purple mane. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was in and out of the hospital for, with chemotherapy in four months. I had a very mm-hmm. lucky uh, short time mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had a pretty major surgery that involved cracking open my chest to get oh. rid of what remained of the tumor, um, sort Good of Lord. a couple months later. Okay. And then actually a year and a half after that first surgery, I ended up having emergency open heart surgery. Oh my goodness. Okay. And, right. So it took me from mid 2012 until really the end of 2014 to be out of the emergency stuff. Mm-hmm. And at that point forward, it was just mental and emotional healing and, mm-hmm. and also getting my body to recover from the impact of mm-hmm. both mm. chemo and those mm. two big surgeries. Mm. Okay. Um, but the emergency stuff was over. So. Okay. And you're okay <laughs> now, I assume. I am. I'm that's in, great. I'm, I, I like to consider myself vital. Oh, that's great. Yes. Okay. Yes. So talk about, so is this the book that you wrote or was there another one? Nope. This is the book I wrote. Um, okay. It's one. just coming out now and it's yep. called Wait It Gets Worse, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wait, it, Wait It Gets Worse and my path from control freak to human being. You talk a lot about giving up control. Let's talk about that because I always, I've done 25 years of psychotherapy myself and I often laugh and say that if, you know, if the first session you had, the shrink would just sit there and say, look, it's all about control. You don't have control. Give it up. We're done. That would save you. <laughs> it would save you thousands and thousands of dollars and all this anguish and time in that, you know, just realize you're not in control. You think you are, but you're not. Yep. It's this beautiful myth we all have. Um, so talk well, to me. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Cause you definitely say control is an illusion, which I thought was beautiful. Well, it really is. And it's a wonderful coping mechanism. And like yeah, all coping right, mechanisms, right, it right, right. works right up until it fails. Um, right, right, right. So, I mean, as you can imagine, the only way that I was able to achieve so much by the time I was 33 was that I had a iron grip on on what it is that I wanted to do and how it is that I wanted to present in the world. And that iron grip uh, came at a cost. Um, it came at a cost for my health. It came at a cost for my marriage. And it turns out that the job that I thought that I wanted wasn't actually feeding me. Um, so in order to both put my marriage and my health back together, I had to go through a process of realizing that, you know, miracle of miracles, I, I'm not in control of the rain. Um, and the process taught me that basically I have 100% control over my own reactions and my own behavior. Right. And zero percent control over anything else. Yes. And with that comes these wonderful choices. And you know, part of part of the difficulty of being diagnosed with cancer at such an age is suddenly this path that I had laid out for myself fell away. Um, Uh huh. And -hmm. and taking that moment to realize that the life that I thought I was living is not the life that I was actually Mm -hmm. living. Mm -hmm. 
it was a gift as, as hard as it was to accept. It was a true gift. And everybody says that. And, and do you really seriously feel, is that really a revelation that people get to, or is it just people have to say that because how else can we get square with this or? Um, I, I think it's a gift. Do. Uh, okay. I do think that some people put on rose colored glasses and say that everything is a gift and life okay. is just mir- miraculous. And here we are moving forward. And isn't this lovely? Um, I think that's a pile of crap, but, um, I, I do think that the fact that I, I went through what I went through and it was hard and it was brutal and it was, um, confronting and it really sort of ripped me apart from the inside out. What, and the repackaging of it is a gift. The, mm-hmm. the, the process was a nightmare. Okay. Um, so, okay. yeah, I, I, I don't mean to sound sunshiny and optimistic, but right. um, now that I'm out of it, I think I can say it's a gift. <laughs> but the repackaging. So talk about repackaging. We haven't used that word before. Well, it's a little um, bit like the, yeah, the, the Picasso uh, quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, but that every act of creation is, first of all, an act of destruction. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And my, my realization was that I had lived a life that on paper was really quite remarkable, mm-hmm. but had given me a body that was sick, a marriage that was sick, and a career that wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And so if I was going to re- rework myself, mm-hmm. then I had to take apart what it was that had put me into that position in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the beauty of something like cancer is it forces the equation pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I had to get, I had to focus on repackaging the way that I thought about my health because mm-hmm. I was sick in the hospital and I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I did have a choice, but, mm-hmm. um, and part of, part of how I went through that process was making sure that every decision that I made was actually a decision that I was making. And it started very small. Um, I was diagnosed basically in the emergency room. I mean, it was pretty, it was oh that my bad. God. And they wouldn't let me out of the hospital oh my until God. I'd gone through chemotherapy. So, what? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So I went, I went into the hospital with acute cardiac issues and oh my God. five hours okay. later I was told I had cancer and five days oh later I was starting Lord. chemotherapy. And oh yeah, okay. it was, it was very much like, oh, the life you thought you were living, that's not what you're living wow. anymore. So it's like um, through the looking glass. You just kind of <laughs> fell through. Yep. Very much so. Wow. And some amazing advice that I got very early in that process was, mm-hmm you know, it felt like I wasn't, I didn't have any choice. It felt like I had no agency over my life. Uh, uh-huh. But the choice that I had in front of me was either to accept the situation that was happening. You know, mm-hmm. Lydia, you are in the hospital. Lydia, you do have cancer. Lydia, you do need to go through chemotherapy. You don't really have a great deal of time to come up with other mm-hmm. options. Mm-hmm. And accept that mm-hmm. and just say, okay, mm-hmm. this is where I am and this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Or, and mm-hmm. this would have been very much a part of the way that I had lived my life up to that point, fight it. Say, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. This isn't the reality actually that's happening. I have more time. I can go do this. I can get second and third and fifth opinions and I can fly to whoever and, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that I realized that submitting to the circumstances that I was in was mm-hmm. a choice that I could actively make. Wow. Help, helped helped me realize that 
I did have some control over my situation. Wow. So it was weird. As part of the yeah, process of letting yeah, 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 go yeah. of control, yeah. I kind of found some control. Right. Um, wow. And so that was really the first step. Um, okay. And and that little game that I play of everything is a choice mm-hmm. um, is a very useful game that I've discovered because um, mm-hmm. it, it, it feeds my inner control freak because she's there, mm-hmm. you know, she's never going to go away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that makes her feel like she has agency over whatever is happening in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow. yeah. And now how old are you now? 40. I just turned 40. Oh, fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And how do you feel? What What are you doing now? And, and how how is your life transformed? And talk about what's good <laughs> about it, what's bad about it, um, you know? Well, the process, um, and you'd asked me earlier, and I'm sorry I didn't really answer the question, but the process of dismantling and dismembering is, um, you know, through, through the health issue of... Um, you know, through, through the health stuff of cancer and then with the surgery and just my body that I was used to falling apart. Um, and then I had to put it back together and I had to put it back together in a way that wasn't friendly to Western medicine. Oh, what so do you I, mean by that? Well, when you leave an oncologist's office after being told that you don't have cancer anymore, they say, okay. go back to work, go back to your life, go back to the gym, go back to what you wow. know is familiar. Uh-huh. Um, and what I realized as I went back to work was that I was suffering from all sorts of horrible side effects from chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty common, um, you know, fuzzy brain. My uh, body wasn't really working. Uh, I, I couldn't stay focused on certain things that I used to be uh-huh, able to focus on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, um, and so the first step in this whole thing was that I had to find a doctor who was willing to listen to my complaints and take them seriously. Mm-hmm. And so that was step one of... Mm-hmm that process of putting myself back together. But then at the same time, my marriage had almost fallen apart right before I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there was a lot of therapy that was happening at the time in terms of putting our relationship back together. Mm-hmm. And between th- those two things happening, something interesting happened with the way that I was thinking about my life is I said, well, if I'm putting my life, ba- if I'm putting my health back together in a different way than I'm used to, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. at the gym, I'm not at the normal mm-hmm. doctor's offices, mm-hmm. I'm not doing normal things. Mm-hmm. And if I've had to be creative about the way that my husband and I are interacting with each other, mm-hmm. why can't I now be creative about my career and what it is that I'm spending the majority of my time thinking about and doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that the one thing that I did love and I do love is writing. And it's mm-hmm. how I found myself mm-hmm. in all of these jobs mm-hmm. to begin with. As a lawyer, mm-hmm. all you do is write. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd started a blog while I was sick because mm-hmm. it was fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, and suddenly I realized that I had a book in me. Mm, okay. And I didn't know if it was a book that anybody else would want to read, but it was a book that I had to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was when I quit my job and I started writing. Um, wow. And it took me two years. And mm-hmm. then after reading a final version, a final-ish version of it, mm-hmm. I, I realized that there was perhaps a little wisdom in there that maybe others who were going through their own transitions could use. Mm-hmm. And so I went about the process of finding a publisher and mm-hmm. 20 edits later, here it is. Mm-hmm. Mm, great. And so that's what my life you know, for so for 2015 until about 
early 2019, that's what my life looked like was putting this book out into the world. Um, and now that it's here, mm-hmm. it's, it's now a whole different hat to wear between writer versus author. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm spending a lot of time talking to people about it and mm-hmm. having book events and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. putting together a, a keynote speech related mm-hmm. to it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's the professional side of my life. Um, How did you find a publisher? That's one of the big issues. Did you self-publish? A lot of people want to write books, but they don't know how to go about finding a publisher. And I have to say today, I find it really difficult to oh, yeah. give advice. It's, I mean, yeah, I agree. out there. It is. And, um, and the fascinating thing is I had conversations with all sorts of agents, uh, the, 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 the gateway of the agent. And um, they all told me that cancer memoirs don't sell. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, and I said, well, that's interesting um, because there seem to be a lot of cancer memoirs on the bookshelves. And they said, yep, it's a very crowded bookshelf space unless, you know, yours is really remarkable. It doesn't sell. Um, and of course, we all think that our own baby is really remarkable. Right. Um, right. And so then I started reformulating. I said, well, it's not really a cancer memoir. It's a transition memoir. Uh-huh. And they were like, that's nice. It has the word cancer in it. So it's a cancer memoir. Um, so... <laughs> uh-huh. So what I ended up doing in the classic, all right, well, if they're not going to let me do it. Um, you know, I talked to a friend who introduced me to another friend who introduced me to another friend. And I ended up with a small publisher out of Austin, Texas, oh. who um, there's a lot of small publishers actually coming up who are taking advantage of the ease of publishing nowadays, uh-huh. but, but putting a professional layer of editing and uh, marketing and publicity on top of it. Um, So it's all of these refugees from the big five, uh, Uh like who, who have all gone off to basically start their own imprints. Uh Um, And so it's wonderful. I have a, I have a editor who spent years and years and years at one of the big five and that's great. Yep. And so she knows how it works and all of the rest of it. And I get to, when I call her, she answers her phone, and uh-huh. um, I and earn did she more. Actually, edit the book because she, that's one of the big issues. Is no one edits anymore. Yep, she did, um, and my book honestly needed it because when well, most when it, things need it. I need an editor. Yeah. I can't write an editor's letter without it. No, I mean none of us can, right? And it's impossible to. It, well, not impossible, but it's really hard Very to edit hard. our own work. Right. Um, and yeah, she edited it beautifully. I mean, it was a 90,000 word blog post and now it's a 65,000 word book. Oh, wow. Um, great. And, uh, and she really challenged me and, and in all of the ways. And so, it, it, yeah, publishing, it was very much a do it, do it myself. Um, but once I found this help, it's, it's now, you know, I feel very taken care of. Um, which from what I understand from friends of mine who've published with the larger publishers is that, you know, it's hard to feel taken care of in that world. And um, yeah, the bigger publishers today are all about, you know, well, you know, how many followers do you have and how big an influencer are you and blah, 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 blah. And right. they don't, they don't do anything for you until you've sold 20,000 books already. And then they finally talk to you. Right. It's yeah. a very different world than what I grew up in. Oh, well, I'm sorry to, I, I well, that makes me feel better that it wasn't always terrible, but no, 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 it was not. Yeah. It was very different. Oh. All those things have been destroyed. Right. It's just a different world. Well, it is. And social media has made it difficult. And right. For, yeah. Correct. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> but that's great. Okay, so you have a small publisher. What's the publisher's name? So we can D find. Sure, they're called Disruption Books. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah. and they're wonderful. Um, okay, yeah. And so, what else about the process did you learn? I mean, I hate to say it, but most lawyers are not fabulous writers. They write, but it's not telling stories. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> no, sometimes. Um, yeah, sometimes they tell really good stories. Yeah, you have to be a unique kind of writer. Um, what did yeah. you learn going through this process? Well, I learned that, frankly, I'm a better creative writer than a lawyer writer. Um, oh, how interesting. Yeah, and it all started when I was sending out emails to friends and family very early in my process. Mm -hmm. And um, the emails were heartbreaking and funny and informative in a way that wasn't too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so there was something about my legal training that really helped the way that I write, mm -hmm. um, concise to the point, but uh, there's nothing, you know, legalese in my writing. Um, right. I'm not and, saying that no lawyer can write. I'm just joking about how lawyers write in general. Oh, yeah. No, usually it's impenetrable and it's a little painful. Right. right. Um, and, and it was actually interesting. Around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a friend of mine uh, was in charge of my, my husband had played soccer with the former CEO of Livestrong. I mean, the world uh -huh. becomes a very small place. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I, so he was on my email list at one point and, mm -hmm. um, and at one point he responded to my emails and he said, listen, I am sending these to everyone at Livestrong. They are amazing. Would you write us a blog post? Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I'd heard from someone who was not a professional colleague mm -hmm. that my writing was useful and informative and something that could potentially go somewhere. Um, and it was also in a space that was not in my professional space. And so, you know, I did, I wrote a couple of blog posts for Livestrong. I was, um, you know, I, I, I had a few drafts going for the Huffington Post and this, that, and the other, but mm -hmm. it was, it was an interesting process of just recognizing that I had something of value that wasn't what I thought was my normal thing of value. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and something that was giving me a great deal of personal satisfaction suddenly was helpful on a, you know, if you switch hats and put on a professional hat and say, oh, well, if Livestrong really liked what I'm saying, then that means that I have something informative to tell the cancer community. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and suddenly and suddenly, you know, my business side hat sort of saying, well, I'm like, maybe this could be something. Maybe I mm -hmm. could, maybe this, maybe I have something to say here. Um, so what do you think are the, do you want to give me your three most, you know, so people who are listening who may know somebody going through cancer treatment or they themselves might be, um, what is unique about if they say that their bookshelves of cancer books, <laughs> which is just so horrific. I can't even believe it. It's horrific from both sides. Yes. It's, it's it's horrific to have somebody so jaded who you know, and I understand how people get jaded like that. I I understand it, but it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but so, what do you feel somebody here would grab onto that would be unique and um, would be helpful, or to give the book as a gift or whatever? Oh, so my book um, is. You know, and I feel like a mother bragging about her daughter. You so. are. Don't worry. It's fine. We're among okay. mothers. Okay, great. Um, so my book is funny. Okay. Um, she's smart. Okay. She's, I love she. I love that. Okay. Oh, right. I do. I really do think of her as her, okay. she's like this little toddler running around. Um, okay. 
Um, she's funny. She's smart. Uh, she's honest. She's brutally honest. Okay. Um, and I was, I was very honest with myself in the process of writing it, mm-hmm. um, which comes across. Um, there's no mention of vomit in the mm-hmm. book, which I think is important when you're reading about cancer treatment. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Is that, on, is that on the outside cover? Okay. <laughs> it's not. Okay. But it's, um, it's much more a book about how I fit. So I first failed at surviving cancer. Oh, I mean, I lived, okay. but I didn't okay. survive. Okay. Um, and then I had this other health disaster, the heart surgery. And then I, and then I had to think about the, the better way to go about surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so this book is really, it's much more a book about how to survive uh, unforeseen trans- transition successfully than it is about cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And I do, I talk about how I failed and then I talk about how I succeeded. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the entire time it's very gripping. Um, someone's compared it to a political thriller. I mean, people, mm-hmm. you know, laugh one sentence and they're crying the next. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, I do a good job of bringing the reader through the plot in a very, um, mm-hmm informative kind of fast way it's a very easy read mm-hmm. um, but then at the same time by the time they're done the reader very much feels like they've been left with these little nuggets of wisdom mm-hmm. um and so i've been recommending it for anyone who is going through anything which is pretty much all of us um mm-hmm. but really women sort of of this age group 30 age group 35 to 50 mm-hmm. who are rethinking how they're looking at their lives mm-hmm. um and when it comes to the health sphere in particular, I recommend it for anyone who's taking care of a cancer patient or mm-hmm. anyone who's going through a big disease, mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot in there for how uh, friends and family can support. Yeah, you um, never know what to say or or how you know no. what people want or no. it's very yeah. hard to know. It is, um, and and each person is so different in how they react okay. to their own disease. Okay. Um, and I, I only recommend it for people who are going, going through active treatment um, if they're actually willing to take a good hard look at what's going on. If, if they're not willing to take a good hard look at the reality of their life as it currently exists, then I don't recommend it. Because some people handle the trauma of a cancer diagnosis by just fading out and watching a lot of TV and just waiting until the next step happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people handle it by digging in and getting creative and thinking about what in their life could have potentially put them in that situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, and getting, getting thoughtful. And Mm -hmm. I only recommend it for those who are willing to be thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and you know, and if you're not, that's totally fine. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, I don't recommend it for those who aren't because it's, it can be very confronting. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but you don't believe that you put yourself in a position to get sick. I don't. Do you? No, okay. you know, cancer is an interesting, cancer is an interesting little disease, um, little disease, big disease, um, in that it, it's the only, it's one of the few diseases that really comes from inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing that is different about a cancer cell. Cancer cells don't have a different DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, they just multiply faster. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so I always thought of my tumor as um, an example of my shadow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we as as humans are beings of light and creativity and and all of this wonderful stuff, we also have a shadow side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I always found I I think of cancer as a physical manifestation of shadow. Mm. Um, and you know, any doctor listening to us right now is going to mm-hmm. roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it helped me. That idea helped me with my recovery mm-hmm. um, because it gave me something to hold on to as mm-hmm. a, okay, well, if this cancer tumor grew while I was being very stressed out at work and under a great deal of stress with my marriage, mm-hmm. then maybe, so I don't get sick again, maybe I should lead a life that's not quite so stressful next time around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no idea if that's true, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it has helped me heal and it has mm-hmm. helped me inform, it has helped inform the way that I live now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's got to be something about cancer because so many people smoke and don't get cancer. And then I mm-hmm. was, you know, running six miles a day and eating healthy yeah. and I got cancer. Oh so you know, it, it's like, right. there's got to be something about why that disease picks and chooses. Um mm-hmm. But no, I don't think I brought it on myself in the way that like I didn't walk out into traffic and get hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that cancer does show up when there's a lesson to be learned. Um, mm. And, you know, well, I, I think we're here on this planet to learn the lessons that humanity is here to teach us to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that cancer is, is one of those very obvious vehicles that show up to help us learn those, me- mm. learn those lessons. So as we close, as people, um, what I always like to do is close with a few tips and tricks for people who might want to reinvent in the same way that you did. Mm-hmm. If they're taking something, they're going through, as I said, a lot of people would love to become writers and would love to publish something, whether they're going through a disease or they're going through some kind of other change or whatever, that's always a good place or there might be other reinvention tips and tricks that you have so what do you got for our audience um i think one of my favorite one i have two um and one of them is to think about our present Um, we all live in the present we have these lives that we lead and if we start thinking about our present inform in informed by the future instead of informed by the past so mm-hmm. the way that I think about this is I'm, I'm not a former lawyer and I'm you know, not a cancer survivor. What I am is I am a writer and I am a speaker and I, and, and I can speak to health because I've gone through something. Um, and so if we let what we want to be our future inform our present instead of sort of staying stuck in what was the past, mm-hmm. um, I find that incredibly inspiring because it, it gives me something to reach towards instead of living in the past and saying, well, I can never write a book because I was a lawyer and mm. people are going to think it's weird and, mm-hmm. you know, and they're only going to want a book that sounds like a lawyer person or, mm-hmm. you know, um, it just helps me realize that I'm constantly able to see myself in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing and I think this happens with all of us at any moment, is um, I got this a lot while I was sick, but people would give me a big hug and they say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And 
it comes from an amazing heart space of love mm -hmm. and kindness. But if everything is going to be okay, then that means that it's not okay right now. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we forget that we are always okay right now and mm -hmm. right now and mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. um, and that if we're striving for this okay that's in the future, then what does that mean our present looks like? Mm. Um, and so mm. I remind people that even if they're going through some muck or health or transition or divorce or loss of a parent, or even if they've just given birth to a brand new baby and mm -hmm. life seems really overwhelming, mm -hmm. it's like, that's okay. Like you're okay. You're alive. You're here. You're thriving. Whether or not your body is like you are mentally here. Um, and that is the reality that you're creating. You're creating an, a, an I am okay right now and I am okay in the future and it's all happening at the same time. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to all remind ourselves that we're, we're okay all the time. Um, and to be optimistic in not a Pollyanna-ish way, but in just a firm, I am okay way in the, in the moment, mm -hmm. I think is super important. That's interesting. I, I believe in that a lot. Um, yeah. I try not to let those small things get me anymore because I, what I say is, you know, nobody lost their health. Nobody got hurt. Nobody, you know, whatever it is, you know, yep. whatever rotten, stupid, idiotic thing they, mm -hmm. you know, um, I try to go back to that and say, well, at, you know, at bottom line, you know, these are things that are dealable. Yep. And, that's exactly. really important to remember what is dealable. Yeah. And, and yeah. And we're capable of dealing with a lot more than we think we are. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh my God. Incredible. <laughs> I am so delighted to have talked to you. What a wonderful story you have. And I'm glad that you put pen to paper. And I think that despite what those jaded people say about all the shelves of cancer books, um, I think it's wonderful to put your story out there. You will change people's lives. And I do believe that there is an enormous amount of good that one person can do. Even if you change two or three people out there, that's, you know, that's a blessing really in many yeah. ways. So that will, that's worth it. Yeah. Wonderful. Lydia, thank you. Oh my God. What thank a wonderful you. discussion. And I wish you all the luck. And if you come down through Larchmont, which is not that far from you, if you're on your way to New York or whatever, you have to give me a call. I absolutely will. Thank you. Great. This has been a delight. Okay. Thanks, Lydia. So thank you for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Lydia. What a story. What a survivor. Oh my God. I always wonder if I could survive like that. I, I really admire these people because it's so scary. I'm good with brain stuff. I'm not so good with health and body stuff. And it's harder than you think, especially as you get older to recover from things. But what a... What an amazing story. So I hope you enjoyed Reinvent Yourself. And if you did, please rate us and please subscribe and pass this podcast along to any friends who you think might find it valuable to them because that's how other people find us. I so appreciate that. And come over to Covey Club and see what we're doing over there. We have events, we have virtual events, we have live events. 
We have a great big event coming up in November, a spa trip into Arizona, which is going to be amazing where we can all meet in real life. So I hope that you will join us in both places. And I hope you will listen to more of the Reinvent Yourself podcast. And if you have any idea for somebody who should be covered in our podcast, you can write to me, which is Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at coveyclub.com, C-O-V-E-Y club.com. Thanks so much. See you next time.